this morning from Romans 14. Romans 14, first 10 verses. Romans 14, verse 1. Now hear the word of God. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and give God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we die to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ." So as we read this passage, I sense a huge collective sigh of relief from each and every one of you that, uh, that, uh, that we do not have to judge one another. You are relieved of that responsibility this morning. Praise the Lord. There is a judge, and you are not him. Now the passage also calls us to distinguish between majors and minors, doubtful disputes, i.e. nobody robbed a bank, nobody ran away with their secretary, committed adultery, nobody murdered his neighbor, and there may be some minor issue you're somewhat concerned about. So there, there are situations in which we do need to make judgment calls. So we, we, we will say that, 1 Corinthians 5 encourages us to make judgments concerning those who are committing incest in the church. So, so we understand that there is the 0.1% of situations in which we have to deal with levinous and divisive issues in the church. And so occasionally we have uh, church discipline issues which may uh, come out about five or eight or ten times every 20 years or so. Um, but here's the question I have for all of us this morning. Does judging the brother or sister really help that much? Does judging your brothers and sisters really help that much. And the word for judging it comes from the word krinos in the Greek. It has to do with drawing fine distinctions or coming to a verdict. Coming to a verdict. Coming to a final conclusion concerning your brother's situation or actions. Now there are two reasons given in the passage why we do not have to judge our brother. Okay, so these are the two reasons. Number one, it's not your job. It's above your pay grade. We're all slaves, and we report to the same master. To our own master, we rise or fall. So the Lord is the Lord. He is the judge. And you're not the judge. I'm not the judge. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day, and every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess. And each one of us will give account 
of ourselves uh, to God. So that's number one. The first reason why you don't need to judge is that it's not your job. Second reason, the heart is what matters. And God discerns the heart. And do you know how difficult it is to discern a heart? Have you ever tried to discern your own heart? Well, you know, I think we can discern our own hearts to some extent, can't we? But, uh, but it's very, very difficult to discern the heart of somebody else. What really matters, according to verses 6 and 7, is that we have a heart of thanksgiving. So what, whatever we're doing, we're doing it with thanksgiving. If we're in the movie theater, we stand up on our seats and sing out, praise God from whom all blessings flow as the credits roll. So, or as we're drinking the wine or enjoying the food or whatever it may be, uh, we are expressing ourselves in thanksgiving. Of course, that comes from the heart, not just from the lip. But uh, the question, of course, is how much of a life of thanksgiving and gratitude are we expressing to God? And then secondly, verse 22, I didn't read verse 22, but if you look down to verse 22, the heart of faith also matters. So the two things that matter the most is uh, whether or not uh, we are doing what we're doing out of faith and whether we're doing what we're doing out of thanksgiving. So those are the two things that matter. Again, the two reasons why you should not judge your brother is because God is the judge and secondly, it's really, really hard to judge the heart. So, uh, so let me give you a couple of scenarios uh, concerning judging, just so that we would understand a little bit better uh, this judgmental issue uh, this morning. So let's suppose, number one, that you judge that your brother has set a bad trajectory. You're not sure the degree to which he is in sin or if he is in sin yet, but you see that he is on a bad trajectory. Uh, perhaps his media choices bother you, his companions are a concern, or his eating habits and drinking habits appear that he may be eventually giving way to the problem of gluttony or drunkenness, or that he may be on his way to idolizing this or that. Okay, so you have a concern concerning the trajectory of your brother, and you look at your, your children, or you look at uh, your uh, wife or husband or your friend or somebody in the church, and you're thinking, wow, they're scraping guardrails, it's pretty scary. But you must realize still that you are not the judge. Here's the problem with trajectories. Trajectories don't go in a straight line. So as you watch somebody's life play out, and many of us who've raised teenagers understand this, uh, you see that they're on something of a trajectory, but trajectories uh, tend to go like this. Okay, so that's sort of hard to follow, isn't it? You want me to do that one more time for you? How in the world are you going to follow that trajectory? That's the first problem, is trajectories don't always go in a straight line. Think about your own life. Uh, things weren't looking very good, maybe when you were uh, 21 years of age, scraping guardrails, whatever it was. But, uh, but as time progressed, you began to go in different directions. So it's very, very difficult. Uh, to follow trajectories because they wobble this way and that way. Secondly, let me give you a second uh, trajectory or a, t- a second scenario here this morning. Uh, you are concerned that your brother disagrees with you on some particular issue or doctrine, uh, whether it be the issue of Donald Trump, the use of microwave ovens, essential oils, vaccines, prepping, home births, pedo communion, or literally a thousand other issues. Okay, so you come face to face with a difference between you and your brother and you're a little concerned about that. Or perhaps your brother doesn't share quite the emphasis that you share on some particular topic. Now I'm just making these up. I'm not, I'm not trying to point any fingers at any particular person this morning. I just randomly was, was putting things on paper. But suppose that, uh, 
your, your brother only brings up politics 27% of the time, and you prefer to talk about politics 89% of the time. And now you conclude that he's soft on politics, political involvement, conspiracies, or whatever, and perhaps he's a closet liberal. So, so now you see, you're concerned about his emphases. Now, here's the challenge. The degree to which this perceived weakness compromises his fundamental faith is extremely difficult to discern. Let me say that one more time. The degree to which this perceived weakness or difference compromises his fundamental faith position is extremely hard to discern. Very difficult. In other words, he's not quite with you on this issue. But he's pretty good on all these other issues. Okay, to what extent does this perceived compromise weaken his overall faith in comparison to where you sit today? Extremely difficult to figure out. Now, I will tell you the compendium of church historical records, the creeds, confessions, etc. can help us uh, maintain a rationality and a thoughtfulness and not being overreactive on some of the minor issues. So I just throw that out uh, for your consideration. And thirdly, um, just a few other things. You're in a conflict. Typically, this is where judging shows up probably more than in any other situation. You're in a conflict with somebody. And you feel that you must make a judgment call. Now, here's the judgment call. Who's the bigger sinner? That's the judgment call. And you feel that you absolutely must come to the conclusion that your brother, usually not yourself, but your brother is the bigger sinner in the conflict. Now let me ask you this question. What do you think Jesus would tell you at this point? Enough said. I don't think I'm going to take that any further than that. What do you think Jesus would tell you? Who's the bigger sinner here? Well, so many other forms of judging. Jumping to conclusion concerning your brother's motives. Assuming you found his root sin based on some three-minute conversation, some Achilles heel that will bring him down. In three minutes, you've come to that conclusion based on a single data point. Now, you know that people are more complicated than that. I mean, hey, the, the hearts of men are extremely deep. It takes amazing amounts of wisdom. Typically for counselors, let me say this, for counselors, just reading of a difficult case on a, in a Christian counseling manual yesterday, and it turns out for difficult cases, it takes about 24 hours of counseling to get to the fundamental issues. Okay, so three minutes isn't going to pull it off for you. Judging others based upon externals, again, a single data point. Suspecting others, judging others that they are judging you, but not really knowing for sure. So that's another trap, is, is you're very much against judgmentalism. So you've taken this strong position against judgmentalism. You've heard this exhortation this morning. And you're just amening it all to pieces. You just love this exhortation. 
You're very much against judgmentals, and that's why you're upset with this brother who is so judgmental towards you. Now, what's happening there? You're judging them concerning their judgmentalism towards you. You see, see how tricky this thing gets. It's very tricky. The whole thing's very tricky. Suspecting others, judging others, thinking they're judging you, forgetting to consider your limited data, forgetting to consider the relative egregiousness of any particular fault as compared to your own heart motives, your own speech, your own sinful proclivities. As you've considered your own life and everything you've said over the last week, you put that all in a spreadsheet and you analyze your motives, you analyze the degree to which pride manifested itself in your speech, and so you put all that together and then you do the log spec thing that Jesus wants us to do, Matthew 7, You've done your full analysis, and you finally come to the conclusion that what? How about we not judge? There's the solution. Let's stop judging. Boy, that takes a lot of pressure off of us, doesn't it? Wow! Let's stop judging one another. Except there are instances in which, yes, we have to make a judgment call upon the word of two or three witnesses in a court of law. Yes, there are instances. One thing I have learned over the years is that Jesus can handle this. Okay? Jesus can handle your brother. He's really competent. He can handle the, he can handle the judgment So we need to let things play out. Heard from two elderly pastors, these men in the ministry for 40, 50 years. I like to ask the question, what have you learned in 40 years of ministry? Here's here's the big takeaway that you get from experienced pastors. First First thing I heard was, don't pull the trigger so quickly. Stop judging. Wait for 20 years before you come to a conclusion. Okay, these are experienced, these are some of the most respected pastors in the country. John MacArthur, another example. My brother just told me of this. What have you learned? Oh, that's, that's easy. He says, patience. Patience. Wait for 20, 30, 40 years to see what God's going to do in your brother's life. Patience. Don't judge him for another 20 years. Hold off. Wait. Take a chill pill. So, brothers and sisters, everything Jesus said, I mean, what more can we say this morning? Take a few offenses on the chin without complaining. Don't gossip about it. It's all right. Turn the other cheek. Move on. Overlook 490 faults a day. Forgive your brother. Let Jesus sort it out. What matters most for you and me is the heart. Everything we do, let's do it in faith. Let's do it in gratitude. question is, where's the heart? Where's your heart? Put a monitor to the heart can't do it to your brother, but you can do it to yourself. So, so to what extent are we expressing ourselves in gratitude? How grateful are you this morning? How grateful are you for your brother, for your sister, for your spouse? What, what are you doing in terms of acting in faith and receiving God's gifts and gratitude and faith? And if you love your brother, you will want the best for your brother. So every time you think about your brother, what's the best thing you can do for him? 
Judge him or pray for him? Make it easy. What's the thing, what's the go-to? So many of us in our minds, the first thing we do is, I got to judge my brother. It's the first thing you do is want to judge your brother. No, 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 don't judge your brother. Pray for your brother. Your brother comes to your mind, your spouse, a sister in the church comes to your mind. What do you do? Pray for him immediately. Just pray for your brother. Pray for your sister. And remember, only God can do the fundamental work to enable your brother to willing to do of his good pleasure. You know that. You can coach a bit, right? We can cheerlead. We can encourage. We can point out a scripture passage that was helpful to ourselves. Come alongside, lovingly point out a sin perhaps on occasion, but encourage him to avail himself of gospel power all the time. So again, the spirit of judging is always attended by a spirit of condemnation. There's no gospel to it. There's no gospel to the spirit of judging. It's terrible. It's an oppressive, condemning, judging spirit. It's awful, just awful. Nobody ever wants to be within a mile of you if you're a judging, condemning kind of person. No, 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 no. What we want to be is a gospel person. If a brother or sister is challenged by a particular sin, hey, the gospel is here for that reason. There's hope. There's deliverance. There's victory. You can love. You don't have to lust. You can be free to love and free from the bondage of lust in your life, my brother, my sister. Wow, God has done this in my life. Bear testimony of what God has done in your life. Share the gospel message uh, to your brother or to your sister. And the best you can do, of course, is to pray for them. So the difference between the Pharisee and the publican, I'll just add, add this one little thing. Pharisee and the publican come into the temple. So we have come into the temple today, hopefully no Pharisees, but the Pharisee and the publican come in. What's the difference between the Pharisee and the publican in the temple? The Pharisee notices the publican. The publican doesn't notice the Pharisee. That's the difference. The Pharisee's comparing himself to others. That's not what the publican's doing. The publican can see himself, and then he can see God. He sees himself in reference to God, and that's it. He's not distracted by the sins of others. Oh, no. Oh, no. He's coming to the temple. He can barely lift his eyes to heaven, and what does he say? God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So it's either the Pharisee or the publican this morning, brothers, sisters. Are you the Pharisee or are you the publican? Ah, we are the publicans, aren't we? Are we the publicans? Amen and amen. We're not concerned about anybody else. We're concerned about our own sin. And we're concerned about the grace of God who receives sinners. And when we say, God have mercy on me, a sinner, God has mercy on us. And we go home justified, forgiven, received by God. And that is our testimony. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. That's it. Well, I didn't mean to preach that much, but let's, uh, let's take a moment and be the publicans and just confess those sins to God. Can we do that? We don't have to look at anybody else. We're just going to look to God this morning uh, with this prayer of confession. Uh, if you can, uh, let's kneel together. Let's just humble ourselves before God. Remember, it's God and me right now. It's not to look at anybody else but ourselves, and we pray this prayer of confession. Let's say it together, brothers and sisters. Our merciful Father, we confess that we have sinned against your majesty. Yet now we do earnestly repent and forsake all our sins and rebellious ways. We especially forsake unbelief and pride, the roots of all sins. Cause us to live for your glory and by your power. 
And as you kindly offer yourself to us as Father through Jesus Christ, may we be drawn by this kindness to yield ourselves wholly to you by a glad obedience. Send your Spirit again to us in power that our faith and obedience may not fail. In Christ's name, amen.